Welcome to the School of the Word. This is lesson 19 in our teaching series, As in the Days of Noah, titled, The Road to Hell is Paved. Our teacher is Alan Smith. Amen. As in the days of Noah were, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. I think this is about the 19th week of As in the Days of Noah. And um, I'm going to continue uh, in this segment of In the Days of Noah. It's built around deception and uh, what is deception? What does it look like? How can I be deceived? And, um, and I kind of have this little introduction on these, teach- on these last few teachings of my dreams, his purpose in the end times church. We've taken different characters in the Bible. Um, I've done a short teaching on our dreams and on our purpose and how God's purpose is greater than our dreams. And uh, we're in a society today that it's more about me. Um, I build my life around me and what my dreams are. I understand all those concepts. and I'm not necessarily poo-poo and all of that. But I am saying there's something greater than your dream. That's right. And that's God's purpose for your life and why He created you. And that's uh, another example we have in uh, Scripture here. Uh, if we live our lives in purpose, we will never fail. Now, this is uh, the Apostle Peter, uh, a Rembrandt uh, painting of him. Of course, we do not know what he looked like, but uh, I was, my mother was in her approaching her 80s, uh, the last year or two of her life, and she had a friend of hers there that was about the same age. And, and uh, she always just, her, my mother's friend, she just tickled me with the things she'd come up with. It was just, she's a very strong believer, loved God, and intercessor, and just, uh, but half the time she's kind of floating out there and kind of here, and you just didn't really know where she was. And with my mother, according to where she was mentally, you didn't know where she was either. So as those two got together, it was a, it was something to behold. And, and they, were, they were watching. Oh, I will never forget it. I, I don't know why I'm telling this. I just thought of it when I saw that. They were watching them. They had all of these uh, cassette, not cassettes, but VHS uh, videos of all these Bible stories. And they had one of King David and and then they were when I walked in, they were right at the part of King David had an ephod on and he was dancing through the streets of Jerusalem. That lady looked over at my mother and she said, Now I always wondered what David looked like doing that. <laughs> and uh if you didn't get that you're in trouble. Uh it's kind of the same way with a Rembrandt here. You know, I, I don't really know that that's the way he really looked. But if we... Uh... Now, here's what happened to Peter. Upon seeing the miracle of fish uh, on an otherwise barren fishing trip, Peter realized his sinful state and gives glory to the Lord before him by falling to his knees and exclaiming, it was this is in Luke 5, 8, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. O Lord, and Jesus said unto Simon Peter, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. 
So we see here that uh, Peter's dream, if you will, of that day was he was a fisherman. Now, the fishermen of that day were pretty rough crowd. They weren't your uh, easygoing, uh, they didn't, they, they weren't your easygoing crowd. They were more of your probably uh, redneck country boys. And uh, so they were a pretty rough crowd. Jesus came upon the scene. But uh, Peter's uh, purpose, Peter's dream, looked a lot like his purpose. Just he, Jesus brought a greater definition to the fish, the identity of the fish. So you can see how if you look for it, most of the time your dreams... And that's the reason we give our dreams over to God's purpose for our life. We just sell out our life to Christ and we let our dreams, we roll them over into, okay, God, whatever the purpose is. It just so happens it'll have a lot of kin, a kinship between the purpose and, and the dream. But the, but the goal is still that we give our dreams over into God's purpose. Now, in this end times church that we're in today, it's all, honestly and truly, it's all about purpose. God will use your job, He'll use your life, He'll give you all, use all of that. Um, as we roll it over into and find God's purpose for our lives, and God tends to match the dream with the purpose. Now the problem is with the dream, we tend to approach it more self-serving. How can my dream serve me? With purpose, it's usually, how can my dream serve others? One's more about you, the other one's more about uh, serving. So here we see Peter's life totally uh, changed from his dream uh, to his purpose, and we know he did ex great exploits for the kingdom. As we see this happening, one of the reasons I put this up here is it's easier to be deceived when I am running in dream versus purpose. And um, the deception, the, the deception runs deeper in if I'm operating in selfishness is the point, or self-seeking, or self-serving. Now, the greater sign, as we've been learning the last few weeks, and Jesus answered and said unto them, take heed that no man deceive you. Now, as we're seeing, deception is the greatest sign of the return of Christ in the New Testament Scriptures. Uh, we're looking for all these signs, rumors or wars and, and what have you. But the big issue is deception. And the question is, can we be deceived? Now, every day that you live your life, we're having to deal with deception. It just so happens we have so acclimated to deception that we, God has given us a conscience, and our conscience is supposed to be a warning flag, a warning bell, that there's deception in the room, something's deceiving by this. We, and as believers, instead of our consciences being uh, more active, they have, have somewhat been uh, dumbed down, if you will. And what I mean being more active is being more active or sensitive to the things that are sensitive to God. Now, not necessarily me, but to God. But deception is the issue here. It's the number one thing that is mentioned most in the Bible about the end times. Now, it's all about attention diversion. Now, I'm heading in a, uh, last week I did a, 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 a kind of a side road. Today will be kind of the same, but it's still the same end. That is, it's all about attention diversion. Attention diversion is the key to any illusion. So we're living in a world 
that the enemy is throwing us a lot of uh, illusions. In other words, things appear different to us than they are. Now, you've got to see something here. An illusion, if you have a magician, he'll have a fire in one hand and all of a sudden a dove comes out of the other hand. What he's trying to do is give you a diversion by you looking at the fire while he's working the dove out of his sleeve. Out, out of, so, it, so it's a diversion. The diversion is things that you can't see, but the enemy is creating a picture through the accumulation of evidence to prove unto you something that appears to be a fact that's not true. Now, the reason you got to see that is it's because the enemy is using the same thing as of faith, but from the dark side. Faith is the substance of things Hope for the evidence of things, what? Not seen. Faith is the evidence of things, what? Hope for, but it's the evidence of things, what? Not seen. Well, how does it, why does it say the evidence of things not seen? Because faith is evidence, is, is, when it says hope for, that's a futuristic event. Are you with me? Faith is the substance of things hoped for. That's a future event. It's the evidence of things not seen. In other words, say it like this. Don't use evidence when using faith. The enemy says, use evidence to produce the future. Does anybody see a kinship there? So all of a sudden, we see the enemy trying to copy. That's, that's all he can do. Uh, the the spiritual the spiritual uh, combination or recipe, if you will, for faith. He's trying to get us to have faith in Him uh, through diversions, through accum. That's the reason I, I had this one little proverb: the accumulation of evidence does not equal a spiritual truth. Can somebody hear me? Yeah, everything in the world today, we got to accumulate the evidence because we got to we got A, B, C, D because we're trying to get the get the answer for what's un, not seen. That's accumulation of evidence equals what you can't see. But there are people in prison that are innocent, right? right. So that's not a foolproof way. Accumulation of evidence can lead to a false narrative, a false truth. Now, this whole teaching today if I've got enough time to get it out, is all about false narrative. Uh, one of the Bethel teachers out, at, out in California, I forget, uh, Blake might tell me when I said it, but he said this, and it was so true. He said, God's in charge, but He left us in control. I mean, think about it. Get, at first, it's a little offensive. You're thinking, no, that's wrong. But just think about it. God's in charge, but He left us in control. He, he, he has, we're to have dominion over the earth with God. So God's in charge of the world. It's obvious He's not in control. Just look around, right? It's obvious God's not in control, but, but we're in control. And so we have this element of control is put the world in, is in the situation that it's in. My point being, since we're in control, we, when we're in control, we want to use the accumulation of evidence to equal a truth. 
when God's in charge, we don't operate in that. We operate in faith, which is something that's hoped for, not by evidence that's seen. Gives us an indication the evidence totally goes against what you're hoping for. Is anybody with me? Now, I know that's hard for us to pull off. I'm not saying you can't pull it off without the power of the Spirit. But we've got to understand how we get deceived. And one of the major ways we get deceived, which I'm introducing you to you, is, in, is, is the accumulation of evidence. The enemy will give you what evidence you want. The enemy will give you evidence he wants to bring you and deceive you through illusions of accumulation of evidence to create a truth that's not true. So what I want you to see is, all right, let me expose a lie. The people in the United States of America are much, much, much better people than what the news is making us out to be. There's a lot more good people here than bad. And, I, and, and I'm going to show you this today. But there's a reason when you see all of the news and all the accumulation, all this information, and, and, when, and if, you, if, if you look at anything today, you'll say, well, our country, or the, to use a quote, is going to hell in a handbag. Well, there's some is, but not everybody. Yes, it's just not true. And do I believe the narrative that this country's going to hell in the handbag? The answer is no. Now, I understand the enemy wants me to believe that. Uh, in, in spiritual warfare, uh, in psychological warfare, and I'm going to get into that if I'll hush and get on with it. In, in that, you have what's called shock and awe. When you're doing military uh, warfare, you have this shock therapy, if you will. Uh, shock and awe, it's called. It's a psychological game of war that you're just going to go in there. You're going to blow everything up for about three days to scare the bejeebies out of everybody. And then that country or that will fall. Or it happens to us as individuals called shock and awe. Enemy will give us something to shock us. An uh, event can happen in life, uh, work, disease, whatever. Now, you've got to understand something. It's shock and awe. The enemy's doing it on purpose to send us into shock and awe, which causes us to have a reaction. First one's fear. Next one is God's going to let me down. Right? Oh, the third one, enemy's winning. God's losing. Can I tell you something? God's not losing. Amen. Do you believe that God wins the total battle and the war in the end? Hey, who believes that? Amen. Okay, he's not losing. You can't get to that end by losing. <laughs> you can't do the math. It won't work. You can't get there. So the enemy's got all this propaganda out there that God's losing uh, this war. And as his people, we got to quit it. We just got to quit it. All right, now I got to quit it so I can get on. So attention diversion is a key to illusion. If our minds are filled with useless things, we are more open to illusions uh, no matter how smart uh, you are. So in this day that we're living in, I know there's a lot to, uh, to indulge ourselves with in our minds. I'm just suggesting that to God's people, don't fill your minds with a bunch of useless stuff. There's a lot of useless stuff out there. 
Uh, I promise you, uh, if you're hung up on watching vi little videos, little shorts, uh, TikTok, I think they call it, uh, it's addictive. You can get hung up on it. And I promise you, um, I've talked with people. It's not all young people either. I've talked to pit, uh, people that work for me that I catch them on the phone all the time. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And, I, and, and I'll come up behind them. They'll maybe be looking at TikTok or something. And I'll just tap them on the shoulder and say, uh, look at me just a minute. And they'll look. I said, of those, of those TikTok little shorts that you just watched, can you tell me the last two you just saw? Just the last two. That's all. Just tell me the last two. Never yet, first time yet for him to even tell me what they just looked at. Why? It's useless information. Therefore comes a statement. If our minds are filled with useless things, we are more open to illusions, no matter how smart you think you are. So we got to protect ourselves of what we fill up our minds with. It's very important in this day. Peter said, be sober, vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion walketh about, seeking whom he may uh, devour. Now, to be sober means to concentrate on what's important. That's if you don't want to be deceived. Uh, the next thing is be vigilant, which means keeping careful watch for the possible dangers or difficulties. So as Christians, I know, I mean, I've been accused of it. Alan, you just, you're too serious. You're, you're too serious. Uh, uh, you talk about this stuff too much and, uh, you know, you know the narrative. So the point being is I do not want to be deceived. I do take it very, very serious. Uh, number one, I've got a responsibility to stand up here and report to you what I feel like the Holy Spirit's telling me is the truth. And you're to test it and, and uh, do with it what you will. Now, deception is an act of spiritual warfare, and that's what most people don't tend to consider. It's an act of spiritual warfare. Almost every passage in the New Testament contains some type of warning against being deceived. That's, I should have put, when it's talking about end times, but it's a lot more than just end times. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 24, 4, And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Now that's the first point of information that Jesus tells his disciples when they ask him, what's the end going to be like? This is the first information he gave. He said, uh, many's going to deceive, saying they're the Christ. Now here's Paul's warning uh, in Corinthians 11.3. But I fear lest uh, by any means as a serpent beguiled Eve through the subtility of, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. So we see here that subtility is, uh, is shyness and design guile, a cunning design or artifice, a trick. It's a trick. We got, so we said, so we can see here, and I said, I mentioned it last week, Eve was tricked. Adam was not, but Eve was tricked. Simplicity is the quality or condition of being easy uh, to understand or do. And the simplicity of the gospel that we, a lot of people says, well, getting saved is more complicated uh, than just receiving Christ and repenting of sins. No, it's not. It's, it's, it, would, God, it would be to God that all the world was saved. So it's, it's a simple gospel. It's not complicated. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, you see that, whom we have not preached, or another spirit which we have not received, or another gospel, which is the word gospel, everyone knows, means good news, 
uh, which ye have not accepted, ye might well bear with uh, him. So here we got another Jesus, another spirit, and another gospel. Another Jesus, which is somebody that looks and acts like Jesus. Uh, and we see here it says another spirit. So that means it's not the Holy Spirit, it's a demonic spirit, right? So when I see these things in the world, I don't have any problem saying that's a, it's a demonic spirit. And it says another gospel or it's another good news. So in political correctness today is another gospel. Let's say, no, this is the good news. No, this is all about inclusion. Uh, you know, I, I, how in the world you bring a new definition to inclusion? I, I mean, there's you can't look at me and say, Alan, you're as smart as so-and-so. Well, you've got to be included with the smart people. Well, uh, go ahead, but it's not true. We, can, we try to include uh, uh, everybody on everything. I'm just saying inclusion is such a deception. Uh, it's not about inclusion. It's about telling truth. All right, now watch it. What is the door of my life that allows deception to come in? It's pride. Pride is the door to your heart. Pride is the door to your mind. The biblical example, of course, is Lucifer, and the results was rebellion, and the end is deception. So we know that the, the big opening into our lives is pride. There's not a person in here that doesn't have to deal with it. Uh, if, if you don't think you have any, you've been deceived. Pride is the spirit unto Satan that the Holy Spirit is unto God. So pride is what leads us into deception. Pride's the opening. It's pretty prideful of me to change the definitions of truth that God gives. Would you agree? That, that would have to be pretty prideful. We've got what are called uh, deceptional uh, lures. Now, this idea that you will become a super Christian if you follow us. Has anybody heard that one? You're going to be the, I think I put up there, elitist. elitism. You're extra special. You're a little more right than others. And sad to say, that's how most of our denominations are, are made. The reason we go to this church or that church is because it's just a little more right uh, than everybody else. And then we fall out with somebody and we'll find out another church a little more right, right, and, and than somebody else. But, but there's still a level of deception there. And, and the level of deception, if you come to New Life, you don't have to be here long till you know that we're not better than everybody else. Uh, you decide that one yourself <laughs> and figure it out. We've said this is the church of misfit toys. Uh, if you're here, it's probably because you're, something's wrong with you and you probably don't uh, fit in everybody else's club. So you're here and, and welcome. <laughs> Didn't get many amens out of that one. I will not be guilty of that last statement of using flattery. <laughs> flattery is a huge uh, leverage of deception. And we, and, we, and, and we flatter more than you think. Got into it just a little bit last week, and I want to pick it up hard and heavy here as we move. And flattery can encourage sin. You see that? Yeah. You agree with me? Okay, so there's a difference in flattery and in encouragement. There, there's a difference. Let's look at it here right quickly, perhaps. It says this in Proverbs 29, 5. A man that flattereth his neighbor spreadeth a net for his feet. In other words, when we flatter people, we're, we're, we're setting them up to fall. 
we're setting them up to be uh, ensnared, you can say, well, why do we do that? So the Scriptures tells us to beware of flattery. We tend to check, now watch this one, we tend to check our accomplishments by how much flattery we receive. Anybody uh, uh, soul bear witness of that? Uh, we tend to check our accomplishments by how much flattery uh, we receive. And so for that reason, uh, you know, at this church it's always been, uh, you can encourage each other and everybody, but we want to be sure that we don't have flattery uh, because there's a reason. You see, he that speaketh flattery to his friends, even in the eyes of his children shall fail. So there's flattery is the substitute for Holy Ghost encouragement. There again, it's the substitute. It's, so it, it will not, if it's a substitute, it's going to produce the opposite, perhaps of even what you're intending. Daniel says this, and such as do wickedly against the covenant shall be corrupted by what? How are they corrupted? By flatteries. But the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. There you go. So, so the enemy uh, to the people of God doing the exploits for God, what's the, what, what is the warfare that comes against them? It's flattery. Oh, you're, oh boy, you're, you're doing a little better than everybody else uh, or whatever. And that's the reason the elitism thing doesn't work in the army of God. Um, the army of God, everybody comes. To, uh, the, what makes God's army strong is our weaknesses. Does everybody ever give you flattery over your weakness? <laughs> Might not work. They give you flattery over your strengths. Wow. Right? But God's army is built uh, when we truly know that we're weak, then He's made strong. So if you're going to fight this spiritual warfare, you've got to be strong in His strength. If you have a weakness and you do a fantastic job, first thing you're going to say, boy, God really done good through you today. Right? And, and uh, so right, let's just go on with that thought. False praise is what flatteries are. Uh, accommodation bestowed for the purpose of gaining favor and influence. So usually the person who's doing the flattery, what you don't see is they're uh, doing it to gain control over you. Everybody with me? Uh, that's, that's the scary part. You think, oh, they're just bragging. on. Well, it's false. Well, that ain't nothing. Yeah, it is. Because if you're truly uh, flattered and you swallow the hook, then you're going to think a little higher of that person than you probably really should. That's the goal. Flattery can be disguised as encouragement. All right, let's look at it. Paul teaches the church to never use flattery to gain followers for Christ. Anybody hear that? You can say, well, Alan, we need to be more culturally relevant. <laughs> I refuse to. Uh, you say, well, no, what... Uh, if we're going to be more culturally relevant, whose culture are we going to try to be relevant to? You, you got so many different ones out there. You say, well, let, let's just let's be culturally relevant to the younger generation. It, I'll tell you something. When you give the true gospel of God, it doesn't look at culture. The true gospel of God's word has nothing to do with culture. Right? 
Because we could have a church, and uh, there's some not far from here, and I'm not making fun of them, and I'm not flattering them. Uh, that women are not can't wear pants to church. And that's fine with me. That's their culture. They think it's more being more biblically true. Well, I mean, I'm okay. I mean, if that's what you want to do, you know, uh, do it. Matter of fact, I had a sign over the door and even went this far. It said, no pantsuits allowed. You know, I, uh, you know, I guess that takes it a step further. And uh, there again, I promise you, I'm not making fun of it. But I am making a point to say that we're not here uh, to uphold a culture. We're here to give the Word of God, and then it'll just fall where it will. The Word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ is cross-culture, uh, if, if you're with me. Now, First Thessalonians, For neither at any time used we flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness. God is our witness. A lot of times flattery is used to gain money, uh, to get people uh, to give. Romans 16, For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. You see that? And by smooth words and flattering speech, deceive the hearts of the simple. So we can see here that flattery is an issue. And uh, when I think y'all really get it, I'll skip a slide. I want to be sure we got it. With wisdom and discernment, we can learn when false teachers are speaking for their own gain. Yeah, I mean, you can tell that, right? I mean, it's pretty easy to discern uh, when we use flattery for our own gain. Flattery, now here's what starts, I really start getting concerned here. Flattery waters down the message of, the, of Christ. A form of flattery is when we place our own personal greatness over the message of Christ. Say a preacher does a great uh, message and he, he does a real good job of it. And, and, and you come up to him and say, uh, uh, which I don't have this happen to me much anymore. I've said it so many times. Uh, you come and say, Alan, that was a great message. That was, a, that was just a wonderful message. Well, the, the reason I have a problem with it, it's not for you saying it. It's just that all of a sudden I've been placed greater than the message I just gave. Does that make sense to anybody? That's the reason that's up there. I'm not condemning somebody for saying it or not saying it's a good job. I mean, I understand what you mean. You heard God, hopefully, you know, through the message. But what happens to me internally is this. It's a form of flattery when we place our own personal greatness over the message of Christ. That's what I have to deal with. And so I'm asking, don't tempt me. <laughs> now, but also say the other side of that, if I do bad, don't tell me. Even trade, right? Even trade. Uh, but you, but the speakers don't need to be tempted uh, to deal with that because the goal and the hope when we enter this pulpit is that the greatness of God to totally overshadows. Matter of fact, if you don't even remember who said it, it's, it means we knocked a home run. We knocked it out of the park. So let's understand that's the goal, and we're looking for our, in the same way in the whole church, when your greatness is greater uh, than the message of Christ, we're failing. And I understand in encouraging people and giving people credit. I, I get all that. But to me, I wonder about a lot of it too. So usually if you encourage somebody, it's best to do it one-on-one -on -one anyway. That's usually the best way to do it. Now, flattering and preaching is to give a self-improvement program designed to gain followers without focusing on Christ. In other words, a lot of messages today on our own... Uh, self-improvement. 
you can do this and you do that and prove yourself. And I get it all. I mean, I'm not even saying this. Maybe not some place for it, but for it to take up the time of the preaching of the message of this book, I think is would be incorrect uh, to give. Because today, a lot of messages are just about self-improvement, you know. Uh, and usually that's made to, is designed to gain followers uh, with necessarily without, you, we need to come away from here knowing that Christ has been magnified. God's message and who He is has been glorified and magnified. That's the goal. Now, a lot of churches today have this temptation of all the messages being about self-improvement uh, so that no one's offended. Can you hear me? And so therefore we'll gain followers or we at least will keep the followers that we have. You know, I think that's a big deception today. When false teachers flatter their followers, they build up their followers' self-importance. Now, there again, I, we all need to know who we are in Christ. But to week after week after week after week for the preachers to be building up the people of how important they are, I mean, I get, trust me, I get, I want people to have self-importance, self-awareness. It's very important to me for everybody to know who they are. Uh, then it's more important to me for you to know who you are in Christ. And you have to have an element of knowing who you are before you know what to die to. Right? <laughs> you got and that's painful enough without trying to build it up and then kill it. I mean, just kill it while it's little. It's, I mean, it's better to kill a copperhead when it's about that big. Don't wait till it's that big. So, false teachers tend to flatter their followers. And Daniel, it says this, And such as do wickedly against the covenant shall be corrupted by flatteries, but the people that do not know their God shall be stronger to exploit. There's a big difference between flattery and speaking in love. Now watch this. The tough messages that Jesus delivered, he delivered in love because he knew that his people needed to hear them. So that's the key thing. You know the people need to hear it, so you give it in love, but there can be very tough messages. Now, flattery will destroy wisdom. Now, I'm about done with flattery. You'll be glad to know. Flattery can be thought of as the giving of excessive or insincere praise. Flattery can be viewed in opposition uh, to uh, uh, complimenting. A person who compliments is one who says something to build up another person. A person who flatters seeks to gain approval or recognition for their words. You see the difference? Uh, so they, what it is, is the way it's distinguished between uh, a flattery or a compliment is the condition of the human heart. Uh, and then usually flattery is, tends to be self-serving. Now, now I want to move into the second phase of this understanding. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. I thought that would be a soft entry to this next segment. Uh, that's a term. <laughs> I hope I didn't flatter you with that statement. Uh, uh, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Now, the flattery usually comes through good intentions. But I want, I want us to see... Um, the, book, the church of Laodicea had a problem because of their lukewarmness. God said, I'd rather you be hot or cold than to be, be lukewarm. Now, good intentions tends to follow the road of lukewarmness. It's easier to, to be 
to have good intentions than it is to make a stand that's either hot or cold. And I hope, I hope you can go with me on that in these last days. Now watch this. Good intentions don't guarantee a signature in the Lamb's Book of Life. In other words, a lot of people, even in our governments, and you just look everywhere, they think they have good intentions. That's what political correctness is, and they think they're going to have favor with God, believe it or not, when they meet Him. That's what's going on back here. I'm, I'm going to have favor with God because I'm going to take up for those uh, which are actually in sin, but I want to, to, to make them inclusive. Uh, when, which the goal is to know, say, is to say, no, that's wrong. You shouldn't be doing that. The wages of that's going to be what you, where you're headed here is going to be destruction. It's not a good idea. Now, watch this. Flattery supports good intentions over obedience. Can you hear me? Now, here's the old wise saying the road to hell is paved with good intentions. In the 20th century, about 100 million people were murdered by regimes with a motive for good intentions. You believe that? Did you know uh, in communism, uh, a lot of the leaders uh, had good intentions? They, they did. They had good intentions. It just happened they were dead wrong. Now, what I'm wanting you to do is to question your good intentions. Uh, good intentions is like, uh, like it's almost a good. Uh, in other words, I judge you by your actions and I judge myself by my intentions. Can you hear me? So, so if I, when I judge myself by my intentions, I'm going to come way ahead of you because I'm judging you by your actions. Now watch this thing. Good intentions paves a road. I want you to get this. This is my big statement here. Good intention paves a road for evil people to travel on and rule where the road is headed. Did you know most evil people don't have an, a crowd to go with them so they can accomplish their evil? Did I say that right? Did anybody get that? I'm going to give you one more lick at it. Evil people usually cannot accomplish their evilness within and by themselves. Because there's not that many of them. There's not that many of them. They've got to have this road of good intentions to be paved and they'll get on it and ride it and take it to their evil end. I know it's a little sublineal, but I'm trying to... Does anybody identify with what I'm trying to say? I'm trying to show you the destruction of good intentions. I'm trying to show you how we are all tend to be cloaked with this little good fuzzy feeling, well, I intended well, and think that that's going to get us off the hook or something. Now, you just got to understand, good intentions is lukewarmness. That's the reason Jesus said he'd rather you be hot or cold, because the enemy travels on your road of good intentions. Political correctness is a road of good intentions. But we all know it's a road paved directly into hell. That's just true. But you got to identify the deceit. What I'm doing here is identify. You test it, whatever you want to do with it. But I'm trying to help us identify how we're deceived. 
And as, and as Christians, we think our good intentions... You see, you don't do something out of good intentions. You do things out of obedience to God's Word. That's why you do it. Why do you... Why, do you, uh, why, do, why are we faithful to God's Word? Because it's called obedience. And I'm sold out to obedience. I'm sold out to God. I'm sold out to His Word. So I'm going to... I don't... Usually when I do God's Word, good intentions is not necessarily attached to it. Good intentions is usually attached to the soulish heart, not the spiritual heart. Now, I'm going to show you this. Does anybody know who that is? I mean, it's a well-known picture, I'm sure. No, I'm actually kidding. I just deceived you. Uh, it's T.S. Eliot. Does that help anybody? Now, he was a, a writer uh, in a lot of famous poetry and stuff. The reason I know him is because my mother always into poetry, reading poetry, and uh, I knew this guy, but his name is Thomas Stearns Eliot. He was a poet, essayist, publisher, playwright, literary critic, and editor, considered one of the 20th century's major poets, actually. He is a central figure in English language uh, modernist uh, poetry. He died, I think, in 58, something like that. Uh, now, but, but look at this. This is what he said. There's the reason I got it up here. But the fact is that the greatest harm in the world has been done by people with good intentions. The bad ones seldom have power enough to do great harm. And he covers this in some of his poetry and other stuff. But that was his point. And do you see that statement? The fact is that the greatest harm in the world, he said the greatest harm, didn't say harm. He said the greatest harm in the world has been done by people with good intentions. The bad ones seldom have enough uh, power enough to do great harm. Good intentions that lead to murder in the last days. Anybody know who that is? Did you know he started with good intentions? Well, let me show you something here quickly. Not every German who voted for the Nazis in 1932 had evil intentions. We know that is a fact. They didn't know that the intentions of Hitler was to kill the Jews. They did not know that. He didn't, he didn't know that. He kept all that rhetoric way down. Why? He had to convince the people. He had to control, if you will, listen to me. He had to control the narrative of the country. Listen to this. Who controls the narrative is who controls the country. Now you mark my words that I said this today. We are in a war. We're in a war. I'm, I'm going to prove it to you next week. We're in a war. We're in a war over the narrative of our country. Remember what I just said. Who controls the narrative controls the country. People in churches and people today say, well, I'm not going to say anything. I don't want to get involved with, uh, with our government and stuff. You better... You better bless your hat, you better. Who controls the narrative controls the country. Every evil person in the planet knows that truth. They did not know anything about the murdering of Jews that was to come. The primary reasons were, now watch this, primary reasons for, for, for Germany and Hitler rising to power was the Great Depression and Germany's hyperinflation, widespread political violence, and resentment of the Versailles Treaty. 
That's the reason. Now, two of those we're doing now in our country, working on the third one. You're going to see a great treaty one of these days. And with Israel, it's not going to be a good one. But now, all right, let's watch this. The Treaty of Versailles uh, signed in June 1919 at the Palace of Versailles in Paris at the end of World War I. This, the Treaty of Versailles humiliated Germany. Here's what happened. Humiliated Germany while failing to resolve the underlying issues that had uh, led to the war in the first place. Economic distress and resentment of the treaty within Germany helped fuel the ultranationalist sediment that led to the rise of Adolf Hitler and his Nazi party as well as the coming of a World War II just two decades later. So that's what, that, the people of Germany thought they were saving their country by voting in Hitler. Well, they were standing for good things, and Hitler, what he did, he jumped on the road of good intentions, the evil one, the evil man, and he rode it in. That's the point. The majority of Germans who voted for Hitler did so with good intentions of solving Germany's economic and political crisis. The Germans who voted for the man and the party that unleashed the greatest documented evil in history were not motivated by bad intentions. There again, we'll hide behind good intentions if we're not careful. Remember the deception, and I'll have to stop here and we'll pick up next week. Remember this deception. Good intentions pave a road for evil people to travel on. That's the problem with good intentions. That's the problem with lukewarmness. That your yeas be yea and your nays be nay. You're either for God or you're against God. The deception is there's a middle, middle ground of lukewarmness, which we call good intentions. Good intentions is not to be our motivator. Obedience to God is. Next week I'm going to get into more stuff to flatter you with. And uh, I hope you'll come back. Uh, you really need the rest of this segment to go with today's. Uh, there again, test what I've said. Uh, I'm trying to bring truth. I'm not saying that it's perfect truth. I'm trying to bring truth, but I am trusting the Holy Spirit to give you witness of what's true and what you need to put in your heart, what you need to consider. I hope this teaching has shook you a little bit, caused you to think. And uh, uh, I'm not asking you to fall in love with me, but I am asking you to fall in love with God's Word. Amen. Let's stand. Lord Jesus, we love you and we thank you for this day. And Lord God, you know our deal. If there's anything that I've said, it's not of you. I pray that it'll fall to the ground and these people will give me grace. If anything that I've said is of you, pray that it'll be like a sword. It'll go at us. It'll cut us going in, coming out. It'll cut loose uh, non-truth. It'll cut loose things that are coming against our faith. It'll cause us to be more of a spiritual people, a spiritual discernment that our declarations can be plain. They would not be flattery, but they would be powerful because they're representing the purposes of God. Be with us this morning, O oh God, as we worship you. Come in power, presence, 
Come in the power of the Holy Ghost is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.